You now turn to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, and Psalm number 86. We may read a few verses from the beginning of Psalm 86. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. And particularly to look tonight, we're focused the whole section, but particularly on verse 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Now the title of the psalm here tells us its author, who is David, and also that it is very much a prayer, the title of a prayer of David. And it seems that at this time that David was going through a time of persecution. We read in verse 14, O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set thee before them. And so he's appealing here to the help and for the help of the Lord. And he pleads here also in verse 1, O Lord, hear me. Verse 6, give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer. Verse 16, O turn unto me and have mercy upon me, so on. And it does so remembering, or maybe you could even say reminding God, of past mercies. Very often, friends, it's uh, not being presumptuous to come before God in prayer to remind him of his promises. I think we have various instances of that, surely, that we know of in Scripture itself. Sometimes we may feel that that has been presumptuous of us, but God would have us bring before him our petitions and reminding him, if you like, also that he's a covenant God. We see here what he remembers of him, verse 13. For great is thy mercy toward me, who has delivered my soul from the lowest hell. As if he's saying, well, thou hast done this for me, so surely now I can expect God to bless me. At the end of the psalm, verse 17, thou, Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. He's looking back and he's remembering and he's reminding God also of the promises made and the blessings he had received. So here's a man who is in need. 
a man coming to the one who knows, he knows, can alone meet his need, meet everything that he requires. He was a godly man, a man we know that is loved of the Lord, a man that we read about who seems to have a great communion with God. And yet he's not free from sin, and he's certainly not free from trials in this life as a godly man. He knows much of the enmity of the enemies around him. And undoubtedly as well as we read elsewhere with him, he knows something of the enmity from his own heart and the sinfulness that is there that he struggles with from time to time. And oh, friends, who doesn't know anything, something of that? There is one thing sure tonight that if you're a believer, a Christian in this gathering or listening in tonight, you will know something of the enmity and the corruption that arises so often, far too often, does it not, in your own heart. You've only, as it were, stamped one thing underfoot when something else arises. How often the Christian then has that kind of struggle as he goes on. Not just enemy without, but enemy also within. Now notice here also, he is not asking the Lord to destroy his enemies, to kill them. He does that on other occasions, we know in some other Psalms, to be rid of God's enemies. But here he is not asking for that, but he's asking, he's praying for grace in his difficulties. Grace to deal with his situation for himself. He is asking, O oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant. This is what he's asking for particularly. It is for himself particularly that he's asking that here. Now, friends, is there not a lesson there for ourselves? How it is, and remember how the, uh, the disciples, and they were wanting at one stage, some of them asking the Lord if they would call down fire from heaven on their enemies. But of course, that was not granted. And in these things, a lesson for ourselves, how we deal with others, even those who are our enemies. How we need to be careful how we ask and what we ask and why we ask for certain things. Indeed, a lesson to all believers. You see, friends, it is better for us not to be so quick at times in condemnation. How easy it is for us, as the Lord pointed out elsewhere, uh, to see the moat in our brother's eye and not see the plank in our own. What we need more than anything and to do is to cast ourselves anew every day upon the mercy of God. In every situation, to cast all upon the Lord. And that is what David is doing here. And seeking tonight, and friends, to learn some lessons uh, from how David asks for this and what goes on here. And have four questions arising out of this text here tonight. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy, and unto all them that call upon thee. And the first thing is this, how is God good and seen to be? For thou, Lord, art good, says David. How is God good and seen to be by us? Well, 
First of all, God is good in himself. We have to remember that at all times. He is good in himself, not just in what he does, but in everything about him, he is good in himself. He doesn't need to show goodness to you or I or to anyone else to be good. He is already good, will always be good. So he doesn't need to show that to bring out, as it were, to make him good. He always is in every way. It's, it's, it is a, um, of his essence. It's a divine attribute, which as uh, theologian Hodge puts it, it preeminently characterizes his nature. It preeminently characterizes nature, his goodness to us all. Indeed, doesn't Christ himself tell us there is none good but God? Not just that he does good, but is good. Whether we see his goodness as it were in action or not, it makes no difference. God is still good. God is still good. Now, every Christian, when you come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizes something of this, albeit in different measure, depending who we are. It depends on how we come to believe, how we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see there goodness of God, that God must be good to have done that for us, to have brought us to the place where we recognize this for ourselves. Now, of course, each of us in comparison by nature, we what are we? We are steeped in sin. There is no good thing in us. And as we are naturally, we cannot be good in any way whatsoever in the sense that God is good. Well then, so you ask, how can anyone who is sinful by nature, how can anyone who is steeped in sin, how can anyone who is born in iniquity and sin, how can they know anything of this good God? Well, we can, friends. Of course we can. And we see it not just in God making provision for the salvation of his people, sending Christ into the world to seek and to save that which lost. We see it there in that he sent him to take our deserved punishment. And that is what we see there, the goodness of God. And that is grace initially arising out of his goodness and his love. His essential goodness is there, grace arising out of it. And the goodness of God is seen in that way. But the goodness of God also is seen in every single or to every single person in this world. The goodness of God to every person in this world. Now, we're not saying at all that God loves everyone because he doesn't. But as we have it in the psalm, good unto all men is the Lord. And there is a sense in that way where God is good. How do we see that? Well, we see it, and for you like, in, in the common grace of God. Now, I know that's a term that many don't like, but it is there for us. God's goodness generally to us all. What Professor John Murray called every favor of whatsoever kind falling short of salvation. That's common grace. Every favor from God of every kind 
falling short of salvation. There is saving grace and there's common grace. Common grace reaches to every single one here, to every single person in the world. God's goodness seen in that way. Now, you might be here tonight as an unbeliever and you're asking, how is God good to me? Well, here you are tonight still on mercy's ground. Here you are tonight able to gather in a gathering such as this. Here you are tonight and you've got a reasonable, if not a very good measure of health and reason of mind. And here you are tonight, maybe some of you acknowledging you're an unsaved sinner who according to God's word deserves God's wrath and curse now. In other words, what are you? Someone who deserves hell, not tomorrow, not in 20 years time, not in 50 years time, but you deserve it now. And you're spared and you're still here. Dear friend, is that not God's goodness? In his common grace to you, there's an outworking of the goodness of God. The God who is good in himself, there is how you see it. And yet here you are in this church tonight. And God has not dealt with you according to your sin. God has not cast you into hell. God has given you another opportunity this evening in this very place to hear the gospel. How can you not say that God is good? What is that but all oh, the most astonishing mercy and kindness and goodness of God? Think about your life. You're here tonight still without Christ. Think about it. Think about some of the sinful situations you found yourself in. Think about the things that you've been doing secretly, quietly, nobody knows anything about. Think about the wrong actions you were involved in. Say maybe nobody else knows about them, but you know it. And from time to time, it troubles your conscience. But what if, as you are committing some of these sins, whether in action or in thought, what if of that moment, suddenly, you were brought face to face with God? What if in that moment, God had ended your life? Just like that. What then? Brought you face to face with himself, striking you dead in the very act of some particular sin that you know is in your life. What a thought, friend. What a thought. So whatever else, dear friend, don't ever mock God by saying or thinking God is not good to me. God is good. And God is good to you. And God is still showing mercy towards you. For thou, Lord, says the psalmist, art good. Then secondly, we ask, how is God good? Second question, how willing is God to forgive your sins? Well, the text tells us, thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Notice the word, not just that he is, that we have it here 
that he says they were good and going to forgive. He's ready. The whole picture of us right away. He is ready to forgive your sins. Yes, friend, this applies even to you who have not up to now acknowledged in any way his goodness. He is still very willing and ready to forgive you. Isn't that astonishing that it could be so? Or do you see the amazing mercy and do you see the amazing grace of God in this? Imagine you with all your sins here tonight. Can I not say that maybe not as it should be at times? Is there a Christian here tonight who doesn't tremble at times at the thought of the mercy and goodness of God when you didn't deserve it, when you look back on your life? And yes, friend, even since you've come to know the Lord, sins that have been in your life and mine, but he is ready to forgive the amazing grace of God in these things. And when you think tonight here, sinner, you of all people, you of all people that God is still willing to forgive you, that is ready to forgive you. He is waiting to be gracious. And that's a picture we have here. He is ready. What are you doing? What are you doing about it, the sin that's in your life? The amazing grace of God, even such as you, and such as me. But you tonight especially I speak to you. Those of you still here. Who have not made your peace with God. Oh I believe some of you here that struggling and halted between two opinions. I believe that's been going on for some time for some of you. But dear friend now is the time. To realize God is willing to forgive you your sins. What is required of you? Well what is you will read from the apostle, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But notice the beginning of that verse, if we confess our sins, there's our responsibility and your duty and mine. And if we do so, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He is willing, friends, to do this. But I ask you, are you willing? Are you willing to do this yourself? To confess your sin? God is willing, if you will, but cry to him and ask for mercy and ask for forgiveness to fall on your knees of your soul and ask for mercy. That is what is required. Here is a God who is ready to forgive, but maybe that's your problem, is it? Ah, proud sinner here tonight. There's an unwillingness and there's an unwillingness, particularly for some, to think of yourself as needing forgiveness. You think some or other things will work out fine. Think some or other because your husband or your wife or your father, your mother, your children, whoever is a Christian, somehow or other, you'll get into heaven hanging on to their coattails for the danger of that for young people and children, young ones here tonight. As much as your parents and your grandparents and your loved ones would love to see you saved, they cannot save you. You have to go direct to the Lord and he is willing to forgive you, whoever you are. But I fear some are unwilling to think of themselves as needing to be saved. 
Oh, well, I'm not that bad. I can think of this person. He's a terrible person. I can think of this woman, and she's an awful woman. I think of this young one, and they're up to no good. I'm not like that. See how we can deceive ourselves, friends. An unwillingness to accept what we are. Maybe someone here tonight is also saying, I've heard all these things, and I'm afraid I feel sometimes I'm beyond mercy. My life is so terrible. I've been up to so many things. There's so many things there that I am so ashamed of. You don't know what I'm like, and that's true, my friend. I don't. But God knows. And God still says, I'm ready to forgive those who come and those who confess their sins. See, this is what Scripture tells us. God knows. And he still says, I'm ready to forgive. And he still says in the gospel, come unto me. And he still says in the truth, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Friend, what more could he do? What more could he have done than what he did in and through the Lord Jesus Christ? That he was willing to die for sinners. You see, in Scripture, we, we read time and time again the Lord in his goodness and mercy. What does he do? He's calling sinners to repentance. And this is what's required. He is willing to forgive your sins if you will but acknowledge you're a sinner. Our text tells us he's ready to forgive. Ah, the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of our God. And if he is such a gracious God, and he is, if he's such a merciful God, and he is, if he's so willing, as it were, to take you to himself, and he is, why, my dear friend, then will you not come? Why will you continue in this world, seeking satisfaction in the broken systems of this world? Why will you continue living as you are, without God and without hope? This is what's required of you. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other way, whatever you think. And you've heard this umpteen times, but I want to stress it again tonight to you. There is no other way to be saved but through the Lord Jesus Christ. No man comes to the Father except by me. There is no other name given amongst men whereby we must be saved. And we can be saved through Christ and through Christ alone. And that is where there's forgiveness found. But he has taken this, the, the, the punishment that was due for all who will come to him. Every single one. For whom? Who's it for? For those who come. For those who seek mercy. For those who will come to him. Oh, my friend, any lack of willingness, any lack of willingness to save is not on God's side tonight. It is on yours. And yours, and yours, and yours here. That's what it is. That's where the unwillingness is. And if you are lost, friend, when death finds you, and it will, it will not be lost because of any unwillingness in God, any unwillingness in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is ready even now 
even now, to forgive. How willing is God to forgive? He is ready to forgive. There is, in that word, is a not in that word, ready to forgive. There is a, as if he's unspeakable reverence here, and as if there's an anticipation waiting. Is there a voice here tonight going up quietly? Is there someone calling tonight upon the Lord? It's God in heaven hearing a voice that no one else here can hear. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. My dear friends, he is ready to forgive. Ask any Christian here tonight, and they'll put their amen to that. And they'll tell you what he has done for their souls. So what have they found? Forgiveness. And I tell you, my friends, you'd be amazed, those of you here tonight outside of Christ, you'd be amazed at the sins that were in the lives of some of God's people here this evening at one time. But they found forgiveness. And the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. That you can be assured of. He is willing to forgive. But then thirdly, how willing is God to forgive? How much mercy does he show? Well, again, we have it very clear in the plenteous in mercy. He is plenteous in mercy. The word there is, is, is translated elsewhere as great and abundance of overflowing. That's the whole picture. He is overflowing with mercy. It is not in any way whatsoever reluctantly given. It is not in any way whatsoever that is holding back. Here he is now, what we are told to you, he is plenteous. There is an abundance of mercy. He is overflowing. You know, when you go to the dictionary, whether a Collins dictionary, whoever, it speaks of mercy having to do with feeling sorry for someone. That's a worldly way. That's not how we understand the mercy of God. His mercy arises not out of being sorry. His mercy arises out of his holiness and goodness and justice. Not about being sorry for anyone. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he has it in abundance, friends. Mercy is there as storehouse. It's like, remember the storehouses of Egypt in Joseph's day? And what was true of those who needed food then? Well, you know the answer. The same as today, go to Joseph and you will find an abundance of food. Go to the Joseph of the New Testament and you'll find an abundance of mercy. And there will be no holding back whatever you need. No one needed to die of hunger in the days of Joseph. No one needs to die today. No one needs to be to go as it were and be die and be unsaved. There is an abundance of mercy in this world. Go to Christ. There you will find plenteous mercy. But you have to come for it. And if you haven't received it tonight, my friend, I'll tell you why you haven't received it. Because you haven't truly sought it. You haven't gone for it. What does the Lord Jesus say in that? Chapter we read in John, ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Is that the problem with you tonight?
Is there someone in this congregation and you know, oh, that's me? I know I'm a sinner, but I'll do it some other time. I know I'm a sinner. My sins are terrible. Here is the answer, my friend. Here is what there is here for you. Will there be enough for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. He is plenteous in mercy. The whole world, quite honestly, and literally the whole world, every single person in the world tonight could go to him and he'll find that there is an abundance with him of mercy. It will never run out for any who will go to him. You see, the Lord, friends, is good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy. Why then would any hold back and not go when there is an abundance of it? But then fourthly and finally, who qualifies for this forgiveness and mercy? Well, it's just what we've said before and seems to come out here as well. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. And that would be a wonderful of the text up there. It'd be enough there. And then he goes on, plenteous in mercy. Oh, that's wonderful still. And then it's a word he wants to, to emphasize this, and to all them that call upon them. So nobody is left without excuse. And to all them that call upon him. If you call upon him tonight, there it is for you. An abundance of it. And who qualifies for this? If you call upon him, there's the answer. And to all them that call upon, not to some who call upon him, not anybody who's very eloquent in prayer, not anybody who's a great theologian, not anybody who has lived an upright and moral life, but all and anyone who call upon him. Is there a limit to this? Are there some who will not receive it? That is not for them. Well, yes, sadly, there are. Who are they? So those who are not elect? Well, what does scripture say? Of course, election. But that is not the main emphasis in scripture. Election is there and we thank God for it. But what we have time and time again in scripture. Man's responsibility. You've heard it often enough. One thing I passionately believe in personally. Man's responsibility is there throughout scripture. Oh, but I'm not in the elect, some might say. If I'm in the elect, I'm going to be saved. What's the point in me worrying about these things? Is that what you're saying? But I have been committing terrible sins, though often secret. How can I be saved? Oh, listen, my friend, I say to you again and again, his mercy and forgiveness is there plenteously. His mercy and forgiveness is only limited to those who refuse to ask for it. And there is a secret. There is the key. 
You see, Scripture tells us, and Peter tells us that the Lord God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if you come to repentance and you call upon the Lord, here is the promise for us, and to all them that call upon him. Do you call upon him? Have you asked him? Have you played with him? We hear much today of food banks in the day that we live in. What good is the food bank to those who will stay at home? Those who need them don't stay at home and hope some or other they'll get what they need. What do they do? They make their need known. They're aware of their need and they go. And by going to where they will receive it, they will get what they need. Well, my dear friends, here is a place where there is an abundance. Here is a place where there is plenteous mercy, plenteous forgiveness that will utterly satisfy your soul. You ask any Christian here tonight, have they ever regretted coming to faith? Have they ever regretted putting their faith in the Lord? Have they ever regretted crying to God for mercy and for forgiveness? Well, you know what the answer is. Well, why then? Why tonight, my dear friends, should anyone here in this stormy congregation be lost? The qualification is here. This is what is required. He's good. He's ready to forgive. He's plenteous in mercy to all that call upon him. Are you willing to do that? Are you going to do that? Oh, will God receive me, you say? So earlier on, what a terrible life I've led. Time I've promised him this, that, and the next thing. And then I've gone back to my, on my promise. Times when I thought I was doing near the kingdom, but then, no, I just gave up. My dear friend, listen. Doesn't matter how many times you fail before. Here is your opportunity. Even now, this evening. In this very church here at this very time, listen to the promise of the Lord Jesus. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Oh, but what about my sin? Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. But what about this, that, and the next thing? Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's the hope, my friends, in these words of the Lord Jesus. To who? To all. To all and everyone that call upon me. This is what we have here. All them that call upon thee. David knew this. You can know this. Every Christian here knows this. There is great hope in these words of the psalmist for any and all who will call upon the Lord. Dear friends, the Bible is full of hope and is full of mercy. And full of forgiveness for any and all who will call upon the Lord. Again, I say to you, if you have not called, and if you don't call, anyone here tonight, and they die tonight, without Christ as their Savior, it won't be that the Lord was unwilling to save you. It won't be that the Lord is not waiting, as it were, with outstretched arms to reach out to any and all as ear open to your cry. It won't be for that reason. 
that he was unwilling to hear you. You see, God does not make empty promises, my friend. And the promise is clear even in this text tonight and throughout Scripture. He is plenteous in mercy unto all them that call on him. He is waiting to be gracious to any and all, to call, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you prayed that prayer? Oh, yes, you see, I have. Oh, I've prayed that prayer. Nothing's happened. I'll tell you why nothing's happened, my dear friend, because it was just words and not from your heart. And if these words arise truly from the depth of your soul and heart, aware of your sinnership, God will hear and God will answer. And you'll know the mercy and you'll know the forgiveness of God and the goodness of God that is there for you. You hear sometimes people saying, oh, God is good to me. Often some of us who are ministers go around houses, hear that, oh, God is good to me. And he is. He is. As I said earlier, it's good to all mankind. But my friend, if you know something of that goodness, even in common grace tonight, beware of this. That will but, as it were, heap coals of fire on your head on the judgment day. Knowing goodness of God. Knowing that God is a merciful God but never taking advantage of it. And except ye repent and call upon him for mercy and forgiveness, what a fearful end would be yours, my friend. Yes, who qualifies for this forgiveness and mercy? Those who call upon thee, calling upon the Lord. Well, in conclusion, The story told of a mother who sought pardon from Napoleon for her soldier son. He had done something amiss and he was going to be put to death. And the emperor decreed that it had to be so for the wrong that he had done. But the mother went to see him and pled with him. But he said, no, justice demands his death. Mother said, I am not asking for justice. I know what he deserves. I am just pleading for mercy. But Napoleon said, no, he doesn't deserve mercy. Ah, said the mother. It would not be mercy if he deserved it. And it seems that the emperor relented and spared the undeserving soldier. And because of mercy, my dear friend, every person in this building tonight, if you would but plead and cry and repent, you would also find that mercy, not because you deserve it, You certainly do not. And so, my dear unsaved, unrepentant sinner here tonight without Christ, call from your heart for mercy. Call and plead, and you will find that he is merciful. He is plenteous in mercy 
and he is ready to forgive even you. Even you. Isn't that astonishing? Isn't that amazing? Ah, yes, it is. But our God is an astonishing, amazing God. Christ the Savior, you went to this world to save lost sinners. Came to call sinners, not the righteous, to repentance. Are you ready to call? Are you giving up on calling? You're a fool if you are. Who knows, but by God's grace and mercy, your next call could be where you will know that mercy and peace and forgiveness. He is waiting to be gracious. Why then, my dear friends, should anyone here end up in a lost eternity? Let us pray. Gracious God, oh, what shall we render to thee for all thy gifts to us? The wonder of wonders that thou hast ever saved any and that thou art still willing to save more. Oh, Lord, may all of us here, from the youngest child to the oldest person, may we seek thee anew tonight, casting our all upon thee and knowing the wonder and the grace and the loving kindness and mercy of our God in Christ Jesus. Hear us, O Lord, in whose name we pray it. Amen.